0: For those of you just joining with us or for all of us in the room, we are going to continue through uh, our series that we've been in for the last several weeks, The Gospel According to Mark, where we have just walked through Mark's gospel. uh, And we have one week left on this thing next week. And we have been going through these last few weeks. uh, There's really just five R's that I I saw as themes through the closing week of Jesus' life. And so several weeks back, we talked about this idea of ransom that Jesus in his death uh, paid a ransom for many. For anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus, their, their debt or their bill that we've all accrued because of sin, Jesus has paid the bill in full. Praise the Lord. He, he has dealt with it. He left it in the tomb. He is resurrected. And so we know that that bill is done and we do not have to be haunted by our past any longer. Awesome. Awesome, right? The next week we talked about renewal. This idea that, that the tendency for all of us, the longer that we hang out in church is to become like a, a healthy looking tree, but we, ne- we don't necessarily generate a lot of Holy Spirit driven fruit. And that it's, it's so easy to drift through Christianity where, where you get so used to presenting as really healthy, but if we are to inspect the branches of our life, we have to be asking ourselves the question, is there love, joy, peace, this different kind of fruitfulness that comes from the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in our life and not manifesting in some weird sort of way, in some Holy Ghost sort of way, where the Spirit of God is bringing this thing about in us and through us. So we talked about renewal, and then we talked about last week, uh, rejection, that Jesus Christ was probably the most rejected human being on the earth ever. And, and I've just, a lot of feedback had come in from that message last week, that it was significant and that it was powerful. And I don't think that was the message. I think that was the Lord just drawing attention to the fact that there is a lot of rejection in this world right now. There's a lot of, reje- there's a lot of rejection in this room right now, but we can take heart because nobody's going through it alone. I mean, last week we, we had all the hands go up. How many of you have walked through a deep level of rejection and hands up all over the room just to show you, you are not alone. And the enemy's lie is just to isolate you and to leave you alone, feeling like you're up against this by yourself. But God has promised that not just not just he is gonna be with you, not just that he's gonna love you in the midst of your rejection, but that he's given you a church family. He's, he's given you a body, a place to belong. Man, And and I just, I hope that even if that, started something in you, if that opened you up a little bit, that you'd continue to press in, that the Father loves you. Jesus himself felt forsaken by God when he, when he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of us have that same question about God, where we're just like, God, where are you? And my promise to you is even when we're faithless, he's faithful, that he's there, that, that his love is available for you, that his, he has hope, he has joy that is coming in the morning, even if you're in the dark night of the soul right now. So that was last week. This week, we're talking about this idea of redemption, this word redemption. And when, and when, I, free, when I think of that word, the first place my brain goes to is, is probably one of the most beautiful moments in cinema history, um, where you have these, these two guys, uh, dear friends, dear friends love one another, uh, would really forsake their entire world um, for each other. And, and they really, they set off on a journey of benevolence and generosity when they encounter a briefcase that was left at an airport. And they, and they grab that briefcase and they drive across the country to return the briefcase to the owner in Aspen, Colorado. This movie, of course, is Dumb and Dumber, right? No? Man, okay. Wow, um, I'm alone up here, but the beautiful moment in this amazing film, is when Lloyd Christmas has taken a wrong turn. Instead of going through Colorado, he's heading through Kansas or Nebraska or somewhere. And he's driven a fifth of the, uh, of the way across the country in the wrong direction. And they're they're flat broke. Frustration is at an all-time high. They, they separate from their journey. And, and Lloyd goes into the next town to sell their, their shagging wagon and trade it, trades it for a kid straight up, straight up for a mini bike, right? He drives that thing back. And what does Harry say to him? He says, just when I thought you couldn't get any dumber you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself, right? Yes, redemption, baby, sweet redemption. He just made an awful mistake and now all of a sudden they're back on track with their journey to Aspen, Colorado. Taylor, beautiful moment in cinema, am I right? It's amazing, it's amazing. Um, man, no, uh, this idea of redemption more seriously, I, I often think that we, we truncate our version, our definition of what redemption really is. You see, because redemption and ransom really start in the same way. Uh, Whereas ransom says, man, I I was transferred out of, just like we sang in that song, I've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his marvelous light. There is an exchange that has taken place. Jesus has purchased me because the word redeem simply means to buy back. It simply means to buy back. But if our understanding is only defined as I have been purchased from sin and now I get to walk in life that Jesus has for me, then, then we're going to miss really what the goal of redemption is, which is to live out of that salvation so that we might minister and spread the word to other people around us. See, redemption really gets its start from ransom, but it is just the beginning to, once we begin to live into that idea. So, so yes, praise God. I, I was once dead in my trespasses and sin is, is what it says in Ephesians 2. But praise God, he has, he has made me alive together in Christ. And that he has ransomed me. He has paid the bill for my sin that I have accrued on my own behalf. And Jesus Christ has paid it in full so now that I can belong to him. And that is, that is the beginning point of redemption. But redemption should not be understood in total by that concept of salvation. It is actually living into now that abundant life that he's called for us, even in spite of the history that we have behind us. And so we're gonna look at this today through the, the the work and through the life of Peter, through Peter. We've been picking on Peter a little bit, you know, the past few weeks, years, whatever. It's easy to pick on Peter. He has these big, audacious, bold claims. He can't back things up. He speaks too quick. Man, a lot of us, we resonate with Peter, don't we? But today, I think what we'll see is how... Peter got to experience redemption in, in, a, in a horrific and sweet, sweet way. And, and, and I want to remind you before we jump through, and we're going to look at several different uh, little windows of Peter's life and um, through the gospel of Mark. But I want to remind you that we talked about this early on in the series. Uh, Peter wasn't, I'm sorry, Mark wasn't writing from a firsthand experience for a lot of what he's telling us in the gospel of Mark. Mark was actually listening to Barnabas. He was listening to Paul. He was probably listening most to Peter about what, what this Jesus, what this God man, what he did when he was living. That's why Mark, because he's not a firsthand witness to things, that's why he's often pulling bits of the story together in a, in a more literary way so that he might heighten our attention to certain parts of the story. He's, he's, he's doing this. He's assembling the story together in in a way that's more potent and more pertinent for us to settle it into us. And so just keep in mind, as we're reading through this, one of the ways that, that scholars and historians will affirm the fact that the Bible is true is because the people who write about it include their train wreck of a life right in it for us. Like if you're going to write a story about a bunch of heroes, wouldn't you write yourself in as one of the heroes? And so one of the ways that they affirm the authenticity of the Bible is because people like Peter are contributing to its authorship, even though he's acknowledging in it that he was a mess, that he was a mess. And so take heart today, bring your mistakes into the room today, bring your shame, bring your guilt, because we're going to see what redemption fully means as we go. Mark 1, this is where the story kind of begins for Peter. Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. So Peter, Simon's, uh, I didn't get this wrong. Okay. You're going to see in a sec that Simon's name got changed to Peter. Peter was a fisherman. That's what he knew. It was a family business. It's what he was good at for the most part. We'll argue about that maybe a little bit later, but Jesus encounters him as a fisherman and he says, come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Peter leaves his boat, leaves his nets, follows after Jesus. And then a couple chapters later in Mark chapter three, we read this, that Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Notice that the call to follow Jesus is not just to do the things that Jesus did, but it's a call simply to be with him. That that part of our walk, part of our journey as Christians is not just what do you do and how do you measure as a Christian, but are you doing life with him? This abiding relationship is the only source of our power as Christians. That it's not just who we do it for, it's who we do life with. Peter's called to do life with Jesus so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the, gave the name Peter. So he, he calls them all up. He rallies them. He gives them this task. He says, you're going to be with me. And these are the kinds of things we're going to do. And then going out throughout Mark, that's that's really what they just begin to do. They begin to, like we said early on in this series, bring the kingdom of God. That was the main point of Jesus' ministry. He's bringing the kingdom. How is he doing it? He's setting the captives free. He's releasing the people who are in bondage to sin, to freedom in Christ. He's bringing healing. He's He's releasing people from the oppressor, from the tormentor, from the devil. And he's liberating people. He's preaching and he's proclaiming the good news, the arrival of his kingdom. And Peter's right there with him the whole time doing it with him. And then we get to this monumental moment for Peter where he has this really high, high followed up by this really low, low. Anyone else been there before? Man, you just have this like mountaintop experience, like me and the Lord are so close and we are so good. And then you fail at that thing. You, never said, you said you would never fail again you know, the next day, the next week, the next month, however long we make it. Peter has these moments. Peter has these moments. Jesus asks them. They're like, they're they're debating. There's this debate going on of who Jesus really is. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, well, who do you say that I am? Peter, first to speak, shouldn't surprise us. Chimes right in. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the son of God. And, and Jesus in another version of the gospel says, you're right, Peter. You've answered this correctly. And then Jesus charges them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. Peter has a tough time, like I think many of us would, reconciling the two thoughts of who Jesus said he was and who we thought he was going to be. Peter thought that the Messiah was going to come and was going to usher in force by rule and by power and by might. And Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be put to death. And Peter goes, hold up. I'm your right-hand guy. I'm not sure I'm signing up for that. And then the next section, here's what we have. And he said this plainly, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Good job, Peter. You're right. You said it correctly. And then Peter comes and rebukes him. How many of you like want to have on your headstone, Austin Dykeman, rebuke the Messiah? Like, that's just not something that we want to get into. High, high, low, low. Peter rebukes him. But then turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Peter, good job. You're right. I'm the Messiah. Get behind me, Satan. It's a tough fall for our boy Peter in one moment, isn't it? For you are not settling your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So they keep following, they keep journeying, they keep bringing the kingdom, they keep doing all these miraculous things. All these stories take place between Mark 8 and Mark 14. But on Mark 14, we're now back into the week that we've been in the last couple of weeks. The last few days of Jesus's life. And Jesus, he's going to tell Peter bluntly, hey, by the way, you're going to deny me when it matters most, Peter. Let's read it here. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. You think about the the gravity and the weight of this moment where Jesus has been ministering and and doing these miraculous things and and they've all been gathered around him, following him for the last few years. And Jesus is like, hey, by the way, you're all going to fall away from me. Like it's about to get tough and you're all gonna turn your back on me. He says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, Jesus is going to die and the sheep, the people following the shepherd will be scattered. And he says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter says to him, full of faith in himself, full of self assurance, says, even if they all fall away, Jesus, I will not, I will not. So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter says it emphatically, even if I must die with you, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So we know how this story goes. We read this next verse last week, where... We now have Jesus uh, being arrested. Jesus, oh, you know what? Actually, here, let's do this real quick. Jesus gets arrested. He gets taken in. And I just want to read this one verse for you to show you that uh, the Bible's not boring. Um, You're boring. (laughs) Mark 14, Jesus gets arrested. He's praying in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane. He's asking his, his disciples, his apostles, just, just stay awake with me. Just, just, just remain with me a little while longer while I just pray. And, and, he's, and he's taking in the cup uh, and he's praying, Father, if there's any will, let this cup pass from me. And then it says in Mark 14, 51, this is so powerful. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized that man, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. <laughs> I, I have nothing else to comment on about that verse right there. I just find it fascinating. this dude just gets captured. He's wearing a linen cloth. They try to beat him up. He gets away, leaves his cloth, runs away naked. Come on. Like, listen, the Bible's not boring. Our lives are boring. The Bible's amazing. Bible's full of awesome stories that don't make, like, I mean, you just read it and you're just like, what do I make of that? Nothing. Don't take anything with you about that verse right there. Just know (laughs) that God has a sense of humor and there's some things that we read that are fun. Okay? (laughs) Don't get distracted. Stay on target as if we were still on target. But anyways. We read this verse last week where, where Peter denies Jesus. Now, even after Jesus has told him what he's going to do. And he says, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. Okay, Peter. See, as Peter was below in the courtyard, good for Peter here on on the one hand, because he was the only apostle who was still with Jesus. Remember I said, Jesus, his initial invitation was not just to do the things that Jesus was doing, but his invitation was, Hey, just be with me. So Peter has some boldness. He has some courage to make it all the way into the courtyard following after Jesus. And then one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But Peter denied it saying, I I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. Jesus said, the rooster is going to crow two times and you're going to deny me three times. And, and that, that alarm, that crow should have meant something to him. It should have woken him up out of, out of this slumber that he's in. He should have gone, oh my gosh, what am I about to do? I'm about to do the very thing that I swore I wasn't going to do. The rooster crows, but he just, he keeps going. The servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, um, this man, he, he's one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He began to invoke a curse on himself. This isn't like like Peter started to say cuss words. It's not like he said a profanity in this moment. What Peter's doing in this moment is he's, he's promising something beyond himself to happen to himself if he's not telling the truth. When Jesus says, just let your yeses be yes and your noes be nos, don't promise things that are beyond you that you can't control. Peter's doing the exact opposite right here. He's saying something to the effect of, even if I should die, I'm telling you the truth. Let God kill me if I'm telling you a lie right now. He's, he's willingly choosing to bring this curse on himself and, and all of it so that he would, he would just continue to deny his friend who's not a long ways away. He's just right across the courtyard from him getting whipped and flogged and beaten and a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He's getting mocked and punched and tortured by the leaders. They're like, you're with him. That's your friend. And Peter's like, I don't know him. I've never seen that man in my life. And as soon as he says it the third time, the rooster crowed. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Last week, we we tried to feel this moment as it would have felt for Jesus, the son of God, being completely rejected and abandoned by his close friends in this moment right? And, and, and some of you have been there and that pain of rejection is real. But, but this moment, what I want you to feel this week is what it would have been like to be Peter, to have these bold promises. God, I'm never going to leave you. I will never forsake you. Even if I have to be put to death, I, I will not deny you, Jesus. And in this moment, it happens just like Jesus predicted it was going to happen. And, and the complete and utter failure that Peter would have felt like in this moment. I mean, he just, he did exactly what Jesus told him that he was going to do, that he swore he would never do it. And, and, and it happened and he denied him and he let his savior down. He let the son of God down. He let the Messiah down. He failed. He made the biggest mistake of his entire life in this moment. And Jesus doesn't just remind him with the rooster. He, he decides to make eye contact with him. And Peter weeps bitterly because he's, because he's completely failed. Man, I think on some level, every single one of us has felt this way. Like, man, we've had, we've had those moments where the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to say something or to do something or, 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 or we're being convicted in a moment not to do something. I shouldn't go through this. I shouldn't fall through this. And, and we even have the Holy Spirit dropping that little twinge of, twinge of conviction in our heart. And what we choose to do is we just go, Dah! and we do it anyway, or we don't do it, or we neglect it. We've all been there, haven't we? And we've all failed Jesus in some way where the truth or, or the, uh, the, the obvious thing that we ought to do is plain to us. And we choose our flesh. We choose our pride. We choose our self, We choose to preserve our own image rather than choosing what we know that God wants us to choose. Every single person has felt this way. Now, maybe not to this magnitude. Like I've, I've, failed in some, I've failed in some pretty big ways but I've never failed with Jesus incarnate in, in the flesh, you know, who I've, who I've hugged and sat with and ate. Like, like Peter feels failure to the, to the deepest level that a human could feel it because Jesus was right there. He was right there. He wasn't following the invisible God that you and I follow with faith. Like Peter walked with him, talked with him, listened to him, ate with him, embraced him at different times. And he denies him to his face. I think it's not even too much of a stretch to think that Peter, after this moment, he doesn't even consider himself a Christian anymore. I mean, you can read it in John chapter 21. Peter just goes back to what he knew. He went back to fishing. He goes back to fishing. It's, it's not just this like, oh, I'm, I need a job, I need an income. It is, it is this way of, of the scriptures showing us that Peter had, had been following after this way of life. He had forsaken this area of life. And now all of a sudden he, he doesn't know what to do here because he's failed so bad. So he just, he goes back to his old way of living. He doesn't even think he's a Christian anymore. He's completely given it up. Man, it'd be so, it'd be so easy and so tempting to fall into that trap. Some of you might be in that trap right now where you're convinced that because of your mistakes, because of your past, because of your track record, because, because your, your shame and regret that season for you wasn't just three days like it was for Peter. Peter got off actually kind of lucky, didn't he? Like Jesus, Jesus bounces back pretty quick to remind Peter that he's okay. Man, some of you have been living in this shame or this uncertainty or this regret for years, but the message is still the same. The same God who redeemed Peter's story is here to redeem your story today. Absolutely. Because what happens in John 21, we're not gonna read it. I I would encourage you to go read it on your own. Peter's fishing all night and he just stinks at it. Doesn't catch anything. Jesus shows up on the shore. He's like, try the other side of the boat. And I can just imagine the like petty comments going through Peter's mind. I'm like, oh, this idiot trying this side, fine. Okay, whatever. I'll just get him off my back. I'll try on the side of the boat. And then they haul in this catch that they can't even hardly contain, about sinks to the ship. They come to shore and they find out it's Jesus and he's already prepared breakfast. And what, is, what does Jesus say to Peter's face? After Peter denied him three times, Jesus meets him with a threefold opportunity to come back to him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my flock. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He's like, grieved. Yes, of course, I love you. Feed my lambs. Uh, You you think about the, the failure that Peter would have felt. He would have remembered Jesus' words saying to Peter, Peter, it's on this rock that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Peter, it's on your faith. It's on who you are. Like, I'm going to build my church through you. And Peter, probably in those few days, goes back to fishing because he's like, I've failed. I have completely missed the purpose that God has for my life. He wants me to go build his church. He wants me to go do these great and glorious things in his name. I, I blew it. I messed it up. And Jesus comes back and said, hey, that purpose that I put on your life before, you did not run too far from it. It is still right here. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you love me? Listen, Insert your own name into the story right here. Do you still love him? Do you want to love him? Is there a little ounce, a little burning coal on your heart, in your soul today that says, man, I want this, but I just don't know how. I feel like I've, what, I've, I'm a train wreck. I've way messed this up. How could he possibly still love me? Because the same God who came back to Peter in his lowest moment is the same God who wants your love reaffirmed today. He does. He does. He does. Peter had his courtyard moment where he fell to new lows that I don't even think he thought were possible. He was too arrogant. He was too prideful, too audacious in his own personality to think that that kind of low was achievable on his own merit. But Peter got there. What's your courtyard moment? man? Maybe maybe you don't even have to venture that far back in your brain to remember when you just completely failed the Holy Spirit, completely failed the Son of God. And, and, and Jesus comes and he meets Peter on the shore and he reaffirms his love for him. And guess who's the per- first one to stand up and to give a sermon in Acts? And Jesus has ascended, he goes up to heaven, the Holy Spirit breaks loose. And, and Jesus himself says, I, I have to go up to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come, so that the advocate, the helper could come. And, and, and there's, there's all these guys that are prophesying and praying in all these crazy languages and, 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 and people who are observing it think that they're just drunk. That's how crazy the scene is, right? They're like, man, these guys have just had way too much wine. Peter's the first one to stand up and say, no, listen, this prophecy back in Joel 2 is what's happening right now. That in the last days, God's gonna pour out his spirit on all men and the young men shall dream dreams and the old men shall have visions. Like and he's saying, this is now, this is what's happening. God has gone back up to heaven. He's ascended to sit, sit at the right hand of the father. And now the Holy Spirit is here. Now the church is born. Now the, the flame can ignite and go and spread. I find it so fitting that Peter quotes Joel 2 to explain what's happening with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Acts. But Joel 2 starts with, right before the verse that he quotes, it says, and God will restore, he'll be faithful to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Your years of shame, your years of guilt, your years of condemnation that you feel like you've just wasted away. You have given it all away. You've done nothing fruitful. You've done nothing productive. You've blown it. God says, I'm here to redeem that too. I'm here, to, I'm here to remind you that you still have a purpose. I still have a plan for you. You're not too far gone. It's, it's my spirit that's going to be in you. That's going to do profound things. Whatever I give, whatever I put in front of you, you're going to be able to do it by my spirit. Peter encounters this love and the invitation for all of us is to encounter that kind of love this morning. But the only way to actually encounter the grace and mercy of God is to embrace where you failed. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm too guilty of this at sometimes. I make too big of a deal out of like, man, just let the past be the past and press into whatever God has in your future. Eh, There's some truth to that for sure. But, But the level of brokenness that Peter experienced was directly tied to his usefulness then in the rest of the New Testament. The level of pain that he experienced was the level of grace that he then got to experience, which made him the person who he was. And so if we are constantly dodging our courtyard moment, never acknowledging the places where we've completely bombed, completely failed, completely missed the mark, then we're never going to experience the grace, mercy of God to its fullness. Like, listen, our our culture, you and me, Americans, we uh, we are so failure averse, aren't we? We're Americans. Come on, we're Americans. Best to ever do it. We're the best. We're awesome. This is amazing. We're the best country, best people. I'm the best. You're the best. Isn't this the best? That is the nation that we live in. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, we, we are so steeped in that, that even the way we interview for different jobs, we somehow try to flip our failures, our weaknesses and turn them into strengths. Yeah, you know what? I'm just not very detail oriented because I'm just so personable that I just love on people so well that I miss the details sometimes. <laughs> right? I mean, the, way, the way that we teach kids in school right now is like, you, you, can't, you can't fail a kid. You can't tell them they're not succeeding. And so we just have to say, you're not trending up at the rate that we want you to trend up at. Like you're just, you're, you're not progressing quite enough. You're just, you're a little stunted in your progress. I don't even think we use that word. We just, we're so worried to just acknowledge where we failed. And, and if you let that get in you, then you're never going to embrace the fact that, man, you've completely failed in some ways. And in those moments where you're laid bare, just raw, reeling from a mistake you've made, that's when the grace and mercy of God touches you in the most significant way. Because it's not grace if you're not getting something you didn't deserve in the first place. And so just understand this. We've all failed. But the gospel is not, hey, Peter, clean yourself up and start working on my church, and then I'll love you. The gospel is, hey, Peter, you completely messed that up. And while you're running from me, that's when Jesus comes and meets him on the shore. It is not once I started going to church again, once I started doing these things that then God started loving me. The message is that God loved you while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. While you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you have been made alive with Christ. You have made alive together, together again in Christ. It was by his mercy, his love was so rich that he lavished it upon you. And that's what caused you to come back to church. That's what caused you to re-engage in the community. That's what caused you to start sitting down and reading your Bible in the morning but you didn't do those things to earn his love. It was his love that called you to do those things. And you can't get it backwards. I, I'm, I'm so convinced that, that your greatest and most significant moments as a Christian will be directly tied to your deepest moments of pain. Starting an Embrace Grace group. That's coming from people who have scars and wounds in that area. Man, you think your testimony is lame because you just grew up in a Christian home. Well, guess, guess what Christians growing up in a Christian home that are getting this hypocrisy and this religiousness sitting into them, that they need somebody who's been through that experience to witness to them. You, you don't, there are no boring testimonies. There are no boring testimonies. Man, but if you were in the gutter, in addiction, in drugs, those are the kinds of people that lead Celebrate Recovery. If you are a, a worthless man, not doing anything awesome, uh, not taking care of your wife, not taking care of your kids, those are the kind of guys that make great men's ministry leaders. Like, this is, this is what redemption means it's taking what the enemy meant for evil, trying to steal and rob you from, and using that as a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. That's redemption. It's not just that I've been saved. It's that I'm taking my story that was so busted up and broken, but by the grace of God, he saved me. And now I'm going to run to the people who were just like me, whether it was drugs, whether it was the religious home, whether it was, whether it was an, an abortion, whether it was anything else like that. You only have to look so far as your own story to see where God is going to call you to minister. I promise you, I promise you. This is what Peter ends up doing. This is what Peter ends up doing. I I, I gotta be honest. When I was outlining this series last five weeks, I just was like, oh yeah, cool. I was seeing these R's, which you just know when things alliterate, it's from the Lord, you know? You're just like, okay, ransom, renewal, um, rejection. And I just went, okay, uh, yeah, redemption. Peter, I know Peter's story, redemption. Only problem is Peter's story of redemption is in John. We talked about that. Like it's not in Mark. I was like, oh no, I really messed this up, right? (laughs) Right. But there is this one interesting line in Mark 16. Jesus is resurrected. Mary, Mary is going to, the, he, we don't even know he's resurrected yet, but Mary is going to the tomb. They're, they're kind of like, okay, how are we gonna roll back the tomb? And, and it says, they look up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. That, that little hyphen, it was very large. You could transfer it like, how the heck did that happen? That stone moved, it, it was huge. How did it get out of the way? And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Yeah, you're telling me. You ever go into a grave expecting to find just like some dead guy, and you're just like, oh my gosh, you're an alive person sitting right here. That would be alarming, wouldn't it? Well then it says, the young man said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, crucified. he was killed, but he's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples What are the next two words? And Peter, the kindness of the Lord, like just insert your own name. Hey, go tell the church and tell them, tell Peter. It's just this re-invitation back in that he is going before you to Galilee. The same words that Jesus said before when he was predicting his denial. That he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Flash forward several years um, and, and you get to when, when Peter's actually writing a book now, to, he's writing a letter to encourage the churches who have been exiled and, and who are scattered pers- because of persecution. And Peter says this, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Don't you think those words are a little more loaded for Peter than they are for you and me? Peter's like, listen, I, I, I was so arrogant. I was so audacious in my claims. And I was brought so low, I tried to exalt myself and, and it just it about killed me. Man, listen, just at the proper time, be humble. Like take, take a posture of humility and, and let the Lord exalt you at the right time because he cares for you. It's, it, the next thing, cast all your anxieties on him. Granted, Peter's, Peter's anxious window was, was small, but it was deep, wasn't it? Don't you think this means a little more something coming from Peter who's like, man, I thought I was done. I had, I had forsaken this. I had left this all behind. And he says, hey, listen, I'm, let me encourage you, church. Cast your anxieties on him. You can't carry it all on your own. You can't control everything. Hello, you can't control everything. Cast your anxiousness on him. Let him be God. You just be the person that he created you be because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour him, devour, resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood. Jesus at one time says to Peter, he says, Peter, the, devil's, the devil wants to sift you. I'm praying for you, Peter. Jesus doesn't say, I'm just gonna kick the devil out. He says, I'm, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. you. You don't think these words are more loaded with weight for Peter as he, as he knew the temptation of the enemy to, to, to deny what he knew to be true? Man, he knows that the enemy is constantly trying to lie and steal and cheat and rob you of the abundant life that Jesus is walking, calling you to walk into. Peter's like, hey, church, listen, I know you're scattered. I know there's persecution. I know times are tough right now. Just be watchful, be sober-minded. There's a real enemy. Don't just look at the world with your physical eyes, sense with spiritual discernment what's happening in front of you. Rise above it. It says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the God of all grace. Don't you think those words meant something for Peter the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore. Listen to me. If your testimony is jacked up, if you are far from the Lord, God will, Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you guys stand? Let's pray. Well, God, we just pray right now that we would be stirred by your grace. God, would we experience what it means to be a redeemed people? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord walk out of here today knowing that you loved us in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our failure. God, that your love is so vast, there's no distance we can't get away from it. But God, you're right here calling us back into relationship with you. And so I pray that as we walk out of this building today, would you stir us up by way of reminder to know that we are empowered by your spirit and that everywhere we go, you will be with us. You'll be with us, Lord. We love you so much and it's in Jesus name we pray, amen.